Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. My name is Ian McNally, and with me, the other half of the show, Matt Lavery. Hello there. How are you? <laughs> very well, Matt. I'm uh, very excited. This is the podcast, of course, where we go through the greatest sports stories ever told. But we don't know what the story is because we haven't spun the wheel. Oh, let's spin the wheel, Ian. I'm let's so excited. Let's spin the wheel. And we've spent a bit of time. Uh, the last couple of episodes were at the Australian Open, so if you listen to those you should get in there but this episode is against all odds against all odds yes i've been saving this one i have got such a good against all odds story i can't wait to share i really i'm really reticent i think in previous episodes i might have called it against the odds right maybe to avoid any copyright infringement with phil collins (laughs) (laughs) okay now is phil is phil like that is he litigious uh, Phil, uh, let's put it this way: in the uh, in the nineteen nineties, I don't know if you're political, but in in the nineteen nineties, Phil Collins said if the Labour Party get into government, he would leave the UK. Now I was living in the UK at that time, and I didn't know who to vote for, but I voted Labour after that. <laughs> <laughs> Did he go? Did he follow through with the threat? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I'm sure he, he discovered some tax havens and he could be a non-domicile. Uh, yes. So if you're listening, Phil, uh, against all odds. <laughs> <laughs> against all odds. Uh, you're you're going to do this one, Matt. I am, yes. And I'm very excited about it. It's set in the world of Formula One. Do you know much about Formula One? or What, what do you think of when you picture Formula One? I don't know much about Formula One. We've done a previous episode... Hill and um, Schumacher, right? With, yeah, with Hill and Schumacher, which was in Adelaide. Mm. And my extent of Formula One... I live relatively close to the Melbourne Formula One track, which is at an urban track, which mm. is in a park. <laughs> it's in a park? Yeah. It's very Almost strange. Like. <laughs> like, you should ride your bike in a park, but they, they have... To, and you can just hear the, the cars buzzing around but you can hear them miles away mm. so for me it, i just think it's really noisy it's a little bit antisocial, and uh yeah i don't I, also the cars are all the same pretty much well, are they or are they different are they <laughs> let's talk about that because I, I in the previous episode with the hill and schumacher i did say that they all should just drive the same car ex- identical cars and then you see who the best driver is yes but which is a common argument. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. What, I, I, but it's just riding. Like, I like running races because mm. it's like human endeavor. I, I Once you put a machine in the way, I struggle to see the, the, the raw human endeavor. But I'm sure there is some. Look, there, there is, I'm sure. Um, but fortunately, we're not going to cross swords on this one because uh, this story is more about the team rather than the driver when you say the team there's only one like there's the you driver mean, but yeah. then there's the team behind it so like today the mini, I'm minibus <laughs> it's, uh, yeah exactly <laughs> actually minibus racing now that that's something to get on board wouldn't with. that be great and you have to take like you you all draw lots and you get a random school group like and you've got a kid. You've got to go in the pits because the kid's been sick. There's oh, travel sickness. Yeah. There's someone who stole a penguin Someone's from the zoo. Someone's forgotten their swimming kit. You have <laughs> yeah. to go back and get it. That we've broken this. I mean, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Olympics 2020 <laughs> minibus. <laughs> minibus uh, that race. could take place in Adelaide. That really could. They they've got nothing on in Adelaide. 
we could wow <laughs> <laughs> and to all our listeners in adelaide <laughs> hello <laughs> um no obviously behind the driver you've got the the guys that make the car and put the car out there and that's what i want to talk about i want to talk about um a, a racing team called Conu racing team uh, which is a british racing team uh, which exists well which was founded in 1971 wow um you probably yeah you probably never heard of it i've they, never heard of it well, no you, and this uh, is probably like close to the heyday of british racing maybe as yeah, it I already mean, maybe gone for british or? racing but i'm not sure maybe not globally but certainly it was a big mm. deal uh, for the brits you know they had a, a lot of strong strong drivers around in the 70s um but for me, when I think of Formula One, one of the things that turns me off is the sort of money and the excess and the extravagance. It's all a bit garish um, and a bit indulgent. But Konyu Racing Team really goes against that, and that's why it's such a it's such a brilliant story. So there's a chap called Peter Konyu. So <laughs> guess, guess, what, guess what he's going to do <laughs> later in the tale. That um, c- Con you, yeah. C- that doesn't C- sound like a man you can trust. C O double N E W. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, um, con you, but uh, so he doesn't really like racing. Okay, he's got no real particular interest in car racing or motor cars. Um, <laughs> but he's the hero of our tale, uh, old Peter. Um, so he's working at a record company. One of his mates comes to him and says, "Oh, Peter, do you fancy coming to Italy?" Uh, we're going to go to Monza and watch the Formula One. He goes, yeah, that, that sounds like a pleasant weekend away with me mate and his girlfriend. So, yeah, I'm, in, I'm up for that. So he goes to the record company and says, I need some annual leave. I'm going to Italy. And they say, no, you can't have annual leave. You can't, we can't afford you. So he goes, oh, I've been, been with you guys for about eight years now. So he resigns. He's 24 years old and he resigns to go on holiday, um, which I love. I that, love that. I love nice, that isn't it? Impulsive nature. Um, that 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 also dates the story of when you could just quit a job and walk into another one. <laughs> you could go go on holiday and then just come back and get another job, no exactly, problem. Yeah, how's the economy? <laughs> um, anyway, so he comes back from Italy. He's had he's had a nice time. He's seen his his race uh, in Monza, and apparently it was a pretty good race, really close. Anyway, he comes back and he needs a job, and then one of his other mates says. Oh, there's actually a job going, working for John Surtees um, as a draftsman. So a draftsman is, is sort of an artist, a designer, draws technical, technical <laughs> I you bits. Meant like checkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, I thought it was a barman. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, so he gets a, So he thinks, oh yeah, I'll get a job working for John Surtees. Now you might not know who John Surtees is, but John Surtees... Who does? <laughs> do, you, do you know him? Are, they, are you making these names up? No, They're very John, good. John Surtees is a big name in motor racing. So he's a four-time uh, 500cc motorcycle world champion winner. Uh, he won that in 56, 58, 59, and 60. He also won the Formula One World Championship in 1964. So he's the only person in history to have won the world championships on two wheels and on four wheels. Now so, I feel a bit silly for not knowing who that is. He's That's a, yeah, amazing, I mean, isn't he? He's, he's, a, he's a pretty big deal in the motor racing world, John Surtees. But our hero, Peter, Peter Conyu, he isn't bothered. I mean, he's been to Monza, <laughs> and maybe that helps him get the job. But he turns up, and he, do, he doesn't care about motor racing. It's not really his his thing. He's um, 
yeah, he, he's basically coming in to, to do some drawing for him. He's actually got to redesign the inboard pickup for the top rear wishbone. He doesn't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but he can draw, and that's, that's sort of how it, how it begins. This is a man who's just happy to frivolously quit his job. After He's eight years, right? throw away everything. I mean, <laughs> just for a weekend away. So at this stage, I really like <laughs> Peter Conyu. Right, like just a just a good lad. He's only twenty four years old, I think. Uh, when he when he starts with Surtees, anyway. So Surtees is re- now retired as a driver. Does he invite him on an eighteen to Surtees holiday? <laughs> Back to Italy. You know what he does. And you should have made that joke in a minute. I will do. I'll make it again. <laughs> edit it. Edit it. Put that in in a minute. <laughs> no, so Certes has been making these Formula 5000 cars and driving them around. And, and then he, he basically decides he wants to get an F1 car. But it's going to take a bit of time for him to design his Formula 1 car, uh, Certes. Um, so he just buys one uh, as he can. He paints it bright red. Where do you buy a Formula One car from? Well, from just a, dif- just a go different around the showroom, a different team. You know, I think I think he gets a McLaren. I'm, I don't actually know, but basically, um, he gets this car, paints it red, and calls it Team Certi's Formula One car. And all he does is paint it red and a white arrow on it, and, uh, which is proven to make it go faster. Well, exactly. And do you know what? Conyu sees this, so they're going to fly the car off to um, to race in South Africa. And before it sort of goes to, to be shipped to South Africa, all of the team, including Peter, uh, who's, you know, diligently drawing a picture <laughs> of a little part, uh, he comes out and he sees this guy and he just goes, this is like in February 1970, Kanye sees it and he just loves it. He just thinks it's the most beautiful thing in the world. He's so excited. He likes the curves. He likes how it looks. And he just says to himself, I'm going to make one. And, like, <laughs> and that's the correct response, right? To laugh. Because, come on, who does that, right? Well, has he not seen cars before? He's never seen a Formula One. I mean, he'd been to Monza, but he'd never seen this car. And he, maybe he hadn't seen a red one with a white arrow on it so close up. <laughs> but I, this is like the, like, well, previous to that. British motor history has produced some of the most beautiful, stunning cars, yeah. which still stand the test of time. And he's looking at this old Formula well, One car. Well, it's been painted red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, but, so it, it, it's basically like a fire extinguisher on wheels. And he's, <laughs> he's absolutely staggered by he's it. He's absolutely blown away and it just it changes his life. So this guy's 24 years old. He's got no savings. He's earning £27 a week. He's got no experience of motor racing at all, except for his one trip to Monza. <laughs> he's got no experience of designing cars or knowing anything about cars. He's been drawing the wishbone. Um, and he says, I'm going to do it. So he's, he starts talking about this. He ends up uh, chatting to his mate about it in the pub, one of his mates who lives out in Essex. And his mate's like... <laughs> Well, I've got a garage next to my house, which <laughs> isn't being used. So he goes, all right, I'll borrow that. So he goes to his mate's garage and he's working there weekends. And he ends up building half a car in his mate's garage. <laughs> which half? <laughs> well, well, like the, the body of the car, if you like, the main... The, the chassis. Of, the, and he's... Uh, kind of, like well, the shell of it, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, um, 
he, built, he designs that. Anyway, they end up getting a secure lockup garage in Chadwell Heath, also in Essex in, in the UK. Essex is also home to Dagenham Motors as well. Yeah, so this is, is it. W- world famous car plants. Ford, I think, make Yeah, cars Ford there. are there. And that matters because um, this guy, as I say, he's, he's earning 27 quid a week. He's 24 years old and he starts building this car and everyone's sort of laughing at him initially. He gets a team together. You've got to love his team. He's got Roger Doran, who's a shop fitter and a joiner, who ends up becoming his chief mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just fitting shops. And his cousin, you'll like his cousin, Barry Boer, <laughs> he's the woodwork teacher in the local <laughs> yes. secondary school. Of course he is. <laughs> so they're, they're the team, right? You've got a, you're a shop fitter and a woodwork teacher and a drawer, <laughs> or a draftsman. Um, <laughs> and they start building this car. They've got no money, so... But people are into it. So they go down the local technical college and borrow their wind tunnel to help them with the design. Local companies are giving them parts for free and tires for free or close to free. One company just forgot to invoice them. Um, basically, because people are just so caught up in the romance of this guy just designing his own car. They're like, yeah. His, his dad's brilliant. His dad, Roger, gets involved. His dad, Roger, doesn't like you, doesn't want to go to the races. It's too much noise and faff. But... He likes what his son's doing. So he helps with the welding, <laughs> um, welding the parts <laughs> together, his dad. And he also, on the weekends, makes a, a supporters club, which he advertises in the local press. And uh, a couple of hundred people end up joining up. And I saw, it's sort of like an, a 70s version of crowdfunding or something. Like Everyone's yeah. just getting involved in this, in this car that, that old Peter and uh, his two mates, well, his cousin and his mate, are just, just building. That's ex- that's extraordinary, but probably one of the most extraordinary things is you is you use the phrase they borrowed a wind tunnel from the university. Well, <laughs> just turn Can up. I just take this wind tunnel just home for the weekend? Do you mind? <laughs> what are you doing with it? You don't need to know. I just I just want it for. It'll be back on Monday intact. Maybe it's fine. maybe using a wind tunnel would have been. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe they borrowed it. I don't, maybe how I big's a wind tunnel? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Could you like roll it down the street home? <laughs> or then? Yeah. Who knows? It's uh, and the woodwind teacher he could play all the instruments. Just put <laughs> it, just hold them at a no, certain angle. Wood, woodwork teacher. <laughs> oh, woodwork! <laughs> oh, he is the woodwind teacher. <laughs> I mean, that, that would make even less sense. <laughs> no, woodwork teacher. Uh, DT. Uh, goodness. Anyway, so so the car's coming along really well, and as you say, all of these other race teams in the area. Um, like Dagenham race team and Ford are sort of getting involved and the plans are going well. Like, and they, these lads are so up for it. I mean, they've got their own full-time jobs, um, but they can see sort of, they're sort of thinking, right, maybe Monaco 1971, we can actually get this car into race. Seriously? Uh, Dead set. So they're like, yeah, let's, let's see. But then in Monaco, just before they're like hoping to get through, the rules were changed and they didn't have an alternative chassis with a different type of al- aluminium. So, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So they so they would ban from the race. They, w- they, w- they didn't meet the specifications and therefore couldn't enter. But it doesn't, like, there's a bit of a setback there, but they, they won't be stopped, these lads. Is there any indication that that rule was brought in to stop them specifically? Or mm. do you just think that was part of the natural development of the sport? It's Yeah, so I was I thought the same, actually. And I was thinking there's a conspiracy here, a rich man's club trying to keep these, these Not guys Not in Monaco. Out. <laughs> um, 
But no, uh, from what I could find, there was no foul play or any evidence of conspiracy. I think it's just one of those things. Obviously, in Formula One, the rules change quite a lot, even throughout the season. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they couldn't make Monaco 71, but they're not stopped. So Barry, um, he's the cousin who's a woodwork teacher, uh, quits his teaching job and starts working in the co-op in the funeral home. Um, because, <laughs> and the truth, this is true, uh, the hours are longer, but he can work, like, they're a bit more flexible with his hours, so he can get away to work on the car. Um, and also, he's got a telephone, which he can always answer. <laughs> See, when he's in class, he can't be talking on the phone about his car that he's That's making. That's true, and the funeral home, so it's very quiet, so exactly. you can get your work done. Yeah, have a good conversation. It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> so Barry's off doing that. Peter decides to resign from Surtees' team, and he gets a job with an engineering firm because it's very helpful for him to sort of be doing odd jobs for the engineering company. Also, they'll do him favors, like lending parts and tools, so that he can keep working on the car. And there's there's a lot of speculation that he left Surtees under a bit of a cloud, and they had a falling out. But there's interviews where where Peter sort of denies all of that. John John Surtees is dead now. Um, but Peter denies that they had a, a falling out. What happened was when Peter is getting closer to designing his car, Surtees becomes quite suspicious and says, he must have stolen parts from me. He must have stolen. But Peter said, look, come down, have a look, check it out. There's there's no foul play. I haven't stolen anything from you. And uh, yeah, it seem, seems that he, he hadn't. Um, I, I like the idea that the average Joe who's working in an office will take like a couple of paper clips home. Yeah, uh, not not us, Matt. Not but, us. You know, or yeah. or, or post it notes. Listening. Yeah, never me, <laughs> never me. Or some post-it notes. Or see something like you know he he's practically building the Formula One car, potentially, allegedly. Yeah, just, from, just walking home with all yeah. the tires. Yeah. What are you doing with that piston? Ah, oh, just uh, moving it. Uh. <laughs> it's my piston. I brought it in from home. um so there's this is now becoming a big story and it's 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 incredible the fact that they they got quite close to to having it ready for monaco um i mean they didn't but it's it's such a romantic story and it's spreading around the the racing world if you like and drivers are starting to show an interest and not just from the uk but from overseas as well, and people are taking a real interest, and they want to come to come to Essex and see the the garage and see the car and sort of see what he's uh, what he's up to. And he, yeah, he started to sort of really get a bit of bit of attention. And so, what's the what's the time frame from when he kind of saw that car? To February now? 1970. So he's we're now sort of in uh, it'd be sort of the mid mid 71. So about 18 months later, and he's getting. That's amazing, isn't this it? This sort of traction, yeah. Like the fact that he, 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 all those things that you've described seems like such a whirlwind, but it, it seems like he's been fixated with this car. Yeah. And then just allowed it to dominate all parts of his life. Yeah, well, <laughs> like well, well, that's it. But it's, you know, the people who are turning up, there's um, maybe not household names, but people who in the racing world were, were a pretty big deal. There was a guy called Tr- Tony Trimmer who ended up doing some racing with them. He, he came down. He actually described the car as the most comfortable car he ever sat in. Howard Ganley came down. Now, he he actually raced in 41 uh, World Championship Grand Prix. Jerry Burrell 
Now, he, he ended up dying um, in an accident when he was quite young during practice for a Formula 2 race. But Jerry Burrow was tipped to replace Jackie Stewart at wow. Tyrrell Racing um, before he died. So, you know, some like real up-and-coming stars are showing real interest in driving this car. As I say, Trimmer did end up racing it, but not until sort of later in the story. Um, they, they end up working with a Frenchman um, called Francois Migaud, uh, and he signs to drive for them. But what's amazing about Francois is, first of all, they've got very little money to be paying him. Second of all, you don't drive a Formula One car to a race. It has to be transported. <laughs> Francois, when he signs, he brings his own truck, which they then modify to put the car on the back. So, <laughs> Oh, that is wonderful, isn't it? How good is that? So the driver is bringing his own transportation vehicle so they can move the Formula One car to, to wherever the race is. That's not that strange, is it? You know, you soccer players take their own boots. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's surely not that strange. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, so, as I said, people are really starting to get into this. Konyu, meanwhile, goes to see McLaren because he sees a, a second-hand Cosworth engine being advertised. So this is the Cosworth DFV engine. And for years, this is a dominant engine in Formula One. It's in other categories of racing. Um, and it's been sold second-hand for £3,250. Peter turns up with £1,000. This and is in the seventies. That's in the 70s. a lot of money. It's a serious lot of money because he's been he's he's been as I say crowdfunding and sort of getting people on board. He turns up a thousand pounds to get the engine for the car. The guy. So at this point, the car does, has does not no have engine, an engine. But does not have an engine. Whole amount of interest in a car. Without an yeah, <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? It's just bonkers. It's like a. A boat with a hole in it. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's so just silly. the expectation of, well, he'll get an engine. You know, people have been giving him tires for free. and <laughs> um, So anyway, he, get, he turns up with a £1,000. As I say, it, cost, it was being offered at £3,250 second hand. The guy said to him, you can have it and take £500 home with you. Because there was just so much goodwill. So he's got this engine this the like you know the, one of the dominant engines in formula one for 500 quid so you said earlier that he was being paid 27 pound a week yes and this engine is for sale for over three grand and he's walked away with it for 500 quid i mean that that is true that That's is right. it's incredible right that is incredible that's how much goodwill there is um as I say, the, dr- <laughs> the driver's bringing his own truck. People just want to see this happen. It's, a, it's such a wonderful tale. So, it's hard to... It's hard to... Uh, clearly, like, if people were taking it really seriously. Well, the three lads were. One of them quit his woodwork job in the, <laughs> in the local school. But kind of retail, like, as you're retelling it, it seems like a circus. It seems... It's mad, isn't yeah. it? So... So you've got Francois on board. Now, again, this guy is is a pretty, not maybe not a star of Formula One, but he's, he's serious. Um, he's from Le Mans, um, which is where they just race around the track loads and loads, you, you probably know. 24-hour, um, Le Mans 24-hour, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, he's, so he'd entered that 25 times 
Um, no, at this point he hadn't, but since then he's, re- he's, he's ended up over his career racing in that 25 times. Um, but he's participated in 16 Formula One World Championship Grand Prix. So he's got pedigree. He's got some pedigree. I mean, at this time, not so much, but he was a, he was a pretty respected driver. Um, and obviously, as I say, his career went on to do things. At this point in the tale, he's still quite a young, up-and-coming driver but he's got a truck license <laughs> well exactly yeah, he can drive the truck have you got a license for that yeah my name <laughs> yeah have you got a minibus license because i've got an idea yeah <laughs> so good isn't it so francois comes over from france he's staying in peter's house they're working around the clock to try and get this this ready because there's a formula one race coming up in france and they're thinking let's do it now you said about the lads Really taking this seriously, even though it's a bit of a circus. Well, well, Barry, um, the woodwork teacher, Barry Boer, uh, he gets married the week before the big race. Um, so the other lads go down, uh, Roger, who's the chief mechanic, and, and Peter, and um, and they leave the wedding to go back to the, to the garage and work on it. Um, Barry goes on his honeymoon. He comes back. At lunchtime the next day, he sacked off his own honeymoon no. because he felt like, oh. I mean, I mean, spoiler, the, the marriage ended up failing, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> maybe maybe it was obvious when he left her at lunchtime the next day to go back to his true love. Yeah, to his true love, the car. So the big race, it's the Formula One in France, and they're on their way in the truck. I'm not sure who's driving it, but it's Francois's truck. They get to France. They've been up all night working on the car. They get the car in the truck, the truck on the ferry, and they the, the ferry to France. They start driving. They sleep on the on the ferry, obviously, get back in the truck, and they're driving down. The truck breaks down. So they, they're not going to make it. So Peter starts talking to Francois, the driver, and Francois was trying to make these alternative plans of, you know, we can get there. I'll, I'll speak to one of my contacts. We'll get another truck, a transporter. And Peter just says, look, this car hasn't even been driven yet. Okay. Like, maybe this is a sign that it's not Formula One ready. <laughs> We've never even really had a proper practice. You live in Le Mans. It's, it's only 60 miles away. Why don't we just leave the F1 for today? And we'll go down to Le Mans, see if you can talk us in um, to the Bugatti circuit. So, you know, give, put a good word in for us and we'll do some testing at Le Mans. And that's what they end up doing. So they go down and, uh, yeah, Francois talks talks them in, introduces himself, and they know him down there. Um, so he gets in and, and they start driving it around and instantly there's issues. Like they can see problems with the car I, and before you go on i'm so disappointed that they all didn't clamber into the formula one car and drive the 60 miles to le mans i genuinely thought that's where it was going i thought they're gonna reverse it off the truck and then just drive oh, an unroadworthy vehicle 60 miles to like le mans. Uh, like the antil mob <laughs> everybody hanging on um, brilliant so anyway the, the spotting issues uh and obviously they start working on them straight away. So the next race, they think they can enter. They go back to, to Britain and they think, you know what, July. 19- so is that just a complete failure? Like they, It's they a failure have to-, to get to the race. Yeah, so and they, they just, just have to 
almost probably not tail between the legs because there was wasn't was there wasn't a huge amount of expectation on them. No, but they, you know you, you, you've. You've got to try, I guess. Yeah, um, they go home, get some duty free. Yeah, you've, you're all been right. Been France. Yeah, I mean, one lad, you know, Barry probably cost him his marriage, but other than that, I don't think there was too much damage done. Yeah, um, and it meant that through doing that testing, they sort of identified a few problems with uh, Barry's marriage, with Barry's <laughs> marriage, and uh, and the car. So they worked on the car. They left Barry's marriage. Um, and set and identified July 1972, which is the British Grand Prix. So they enter the practice, but again, they haven't had enough practice time, you know, before the the practice, the, the official practice, you know, before the race. And there's a rear suspension issue, so they take it back to the from the formula from the Grand Prix. They leave the Grand Prix, go back to the garage start working on it, work all night to fix the rear suspension issue, get a police escort to take them back. But as they pull off, they realize that the rear upright at the back of the car is is cracked and they're never going to be able to get it fixed. They don't have the money to do so. So it, there's just issues coming up all the time. They have to withdraw from from the British Grand Prix before they even really have a chance. But that's July. They just despite this soul destroying stuff and i mean imagine how good you'd be you just feel like oh, i was so close and then you know there's a crack at the back of it and you're like oh man particularly when you got the police there the police well. are there to give you an escort that's yeah that's hard. soul destroying well they're so close but the next up is july 1972 they think you know we can we can just get to germany we'll race over there <laughs> so <laughs> they, they these lads just will not stop so Francois, he's, as I said, he's got a few contacts. They're not registered for the German Grand Prix. But they figure, you know what, if we turn up with Francois, he, he'll probably have a word with them. He's, he'll, be able, <laughs> he'll be able to talk his way in. <laughs> so they, Yeah, that would be great. Just the, the French-German relations after, <laughs> you know, 30, not even 30 years after the Second World War. Francois will be fine. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, maybe maybe you identified something there, but because they hadn't... I mean, maybe it's a German thing, but yeah, he hadn't made an official entry, so he was denied. Um, but they're in Germany uh, with the car, and it's July. What's next? Austria. <laughs> in August, 1972. This, w- this is almost like German foreign policy <laughs> in the <laughs> early in 20th reverse. century. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, they see Austria Grand Prix is in August. It's just a couple of weeks away, and they've got time to actually enter it properly. The car's still fixed from the last time, so they say, right, let's just get to the start line, and we'll go. So they're doing the practice, and would you believe they qualified for the Grand Prix in Austria in 1972? <laughs> Like, what an achievement. It's like, it's it's not even two years, February 1970, since he decided he even liked motorcars. <laughs> Before he looked at a car with an arrow on yeah. it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to dedicate my life to it. It's mad, isn't it? So, yeah, like, two, well, two and, a, two and a bit years, sorry, later, he's qualified. His car, was it Conyu Racing Team, is, is sitting 
in the back space, their last, on the grid for the Austrian Grand Prix. They get the car started and Francois is driving it. And uh, as you may know or may not know, there's 22 cars race in, in there. So they start at 22nd. They're driving around and a car drops out, retires. Then another car drops out, retires. Before you know, they're up to 17th. Now, they haven't really overtaken anybody. But suddenly, they're in 17th place <laughs> from 22. <laughs> this is really exciting. And they're going great. There's 54 laps at the Austrian Grand Prix in 1972. But unfortunately, in lap 22, just shy of halfway round, the rear wishbone snapped. And the car starts to swerve towards the barriers. And obviously, Francois is thinking this, this could be fatal. There's been fatalities in Formula One, but thank goodness he's able to, to, to stop the car safely and walk away without sort of any damage to, to either the car or himself, actually. He didn't collide with the barriers. And obviously for, for Konyu Racing, this is such a proud moment because they've now competed in, an, in a Grand Prix and, and it's serious now. People are looking at them going, should we invest? kind of legitimized yeah their efforts and they you know they they still haven't got any money you know they they they're relying on handouts and you know the salary of a somebody working in a funeral home and, yeah. and Barry's some, divorce settlements yeah exactly yeah um if a lads working just does doing odd jobs for an engineering company they've got no money but suddenly serious race teams and millionaires are starting to have a look and go should we invest in these guys i mean they they look all right but do they? <laughs> do they? <laughs> do they look all right? <laughs> well, but uh, to be fair, they've they've achieved so much, haven't they, in such a short space of time? It's remarkable. I mean, if they show that level of determination, they are worth an investment, aren't they? Because yeah. if they had the proper tools and the proper equipment, if they've got that dedication to it, then surely they're going to go somewhere. Well, one of the things that was talked about was um, sort of the chassis you mentioned earlier. And they just didn't have the skills or the tools to make it thin enough. Uh, so it was just like, I don't know, a couple of millimeters or something, or maybe a centimeter thicker than everybody else's <laughs> car. <laughs> they just couldn't make it any thinner without putting a hole through it. So they just like doing it. I mean, they've got the dad, Roger, doing the welding. And yet there they are, <laughs> retiring in 17th place from a, from a Grand Prix in Austria. And that's sort of, well, I mean, that's the career high, unfortunately. There's other races and there's engine problems. And, you know, they, they have some some people coming and saying, we're going to invest in you. But the car is never able to, to get going again. And Francois ends up leaving um, to obviously further his own career. And as I say, he does very well. At the end of the race, uh, sorry, at the end of the Formula One season that year, there's uh, the World Championship Victory Race, where sort of everyone's invited. It's a bit of an exhibition race. Um, and they had a new driver in, David Purley. And, and David had sort of made a few suggestions and modifications. I mean, he'd put a bit of money in himself to sort of get the get the car going. And um, unfortunately, on the warm-up lap uh, before the race, there was an electrical issue which they couldn't resolve. So it wasn't able to race. and And it sort of just went went bust from there. I mean, the team's flat broke. They had to write a check uh, for the Dartford Tunnel 
for 12 and a half pages to even get the car back to Essex. Oh, just um, the, the toll to get yeah, through. They had to write a check for 12 and a half <laughs> P. Um, they just had no money left. And that's sort of it. It sort of ends on a bit of a, a bit of a bum note, really. I mean, they, they t- t- in 1973, they actually sort of changed the car a little bit. They get a new driver in, a Swiss driver called Pierre, and they sort of uh, change, change the car so it qualifies for the Formula 5000. But it never really did anything. It had three goes. One of them, it didn't qualify. One of them, it qualified 21st, but then couldn't start in the final round of the, the, the fa- Formula 5000 in 1973, the final race. Um, they had another driver called Tony, uh, Tony Trimmer, who I mentioned earlier. He was the guy who said it was the most comfortable car. Unfortunately, Tony Trimmer ended up crashing after the rear damper gave way. Uh, he crashed it into a barrier, and the car was just damaged beyond repair and could never be fixed. So that was it. It was retired forever and was never to be driven again. Did they get a discount at the funeral home? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't die, Tony Trimmer. <laughs> no, no, the car. <laughs> the car. <laughs> they buried the car. Oh, they should have done. Yeah. No, I think it's just in. Um, I think it's just in a garage in Essex, like in that in his mate. It should have been in house. a coffin. They should have painted the coffin red with red. an arrow pointing down. Well, do you know what? He actually talks a lot about that. I've got a quote here about the whole red thing. Um, and he explains that he loved John Surtees' red car and he wanted his car to be red um, because, and this is a quote, red is my favourite colour. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It is good, isn't very it? Good. Very good. Simpler poignant. times. Yeah. <laughs> when you think of the obstacles that you would need to join, you know, enter a car into Formula One now, it's... More than just being red. Yeah. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Like, you literally need hundreds of millions of dollars to Yeah, the do barrier to entry. When you think back then, wow. It's mad, isn't it? The it's guy in his mid-twenties just had yeah. a dream. And just said, well, yeah, but the funny thing is, it wasn't really even his dream. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't bothered. He just, <laughs> That's true. He yeah. went to Monza he just when he was 24 and went, yeah, yeah, all right, I don't, this is okay. Yeah, it's not like he grew up thinking about it. No, no, not at all. He said he used to get a magazine when he was a teenager with pictures of cars in it called Motor Trend. And he said sometimes he'd sort of admire the, the look of the Buicks and stuff, but he wasn't bothered. He certainly wasn't bothered about racing them. He just thought they looked all right. And that was that's kind of it. You know, he, he wasn't bothered about Surtees racing his cars. He just liked the look of his red one and said, "Oh, I'm going to make one of those." So, do do we know what what happened? What happened to uh, Peter Conyu? Well, Peter Conyu, yeah. I mean, he's a bit of a legend of the racing world. So he'll he, he goes around now. He turns up at um, at races, talks, shows people his car. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the car. This that is the by car. default was 17th in a Grand Prix. Listen, and then well, it wasn't actually because you, d- you don't even get 17th if you don't no, finish. You, you just, just get DNA. <laughs> yeah. um, did not finish. So, you know, he's, uh, yeah, Conyu racing team. The stats are Formula One World Championship career. Races entered two, one start. Engines, one. The Cosworth DFV. <laughs> Race victories, zero. Pole positions, zero. Fastest laps, zero. <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I love Conyu racing team. I just a brilliant, like he conned that bloke out of the Cosworth engine. That's, that's, that's pretty it. good, isn't it? But with a name like Conyu, I mean, 
I'm a bit disappointed that with initials like his, he didn't go on to work with in <laughs> in computers and <laughs> he called PC World. Yes, <laughs> but, but it, anything's possible. Wow, that's such Ag- a against all odds. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> that story has made me think. I wonder if I just applied myself. With a couple of things yeah, in my you know life. What? That's it. I mean, how many times would you or I or, or any of our listeners out there have been in the pub and said, I'm going to do this? And just throw everything at it. Yeah. And then, of course, you you have another beer and you, you wake up the next day and you probably never remember it. But but yeah, Peter Conyu wasn't bothered. He's the kind of guy who just quits his job to go to Monza for a holiday and then looks at something and goes, yeah, and I'll do that. Despite the idiocy in this. A large part of me really wants to go and see that car. Yeah. Just to see. Just to see. <laughs> just it. to see. Yeah, it's cool. It's, uh, it's obviously, uh, when researching this, I saw some pictures of it. I mean, it's, it's how I describe it. It's a red car with a bit of a white arrow on it. <laughs> Not much to it. Noddy. <laughs> it, says, it says Conyu, but the le- it's in such small letters at the front there. But yeah, it's good. What a story. Good Thanks, fun, right? <laughs> we salute you, Peter Conyu. Peter Conyu, big shout out to you. And <laughs> with, we'll be back next time on the Wheel of Sport for the greatest sports stories ever told. Please get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram at the Wheel of Sport. And we'll see you next time. See you, Matt. Goodbye.